This Westwards mini masterclass is a production of Westwards, the Western Sydney Literature Organisation. For more information on Westwards and what we do, please go to westwards.com.au. So I'm talking to Deborah Bella. Deb's a very good friend of mine. She's also uh, an incredibly successful young adult and children's writer uh, from Australia. She has written in the last, what, 25 years, I guess, Deb, something like that, written 26 books. Um, they've been internationally published and awarded. Uh, some of those books include books about girl spies and soccer legends and climate change and bad things that happen because of climate change and people who are refugees to this country uh, and spelling bees and picture books as well. So we've got Deb with us right now. How are you, Deb? I'm good, James. It's nice to hear you. Yeah, it's nice to hear you as well. Um, so today we're talking about world building. This is a really interesting one. I, I, I'm fascinated by this idea of world building. I love when I pick up a book and I, it's, it's set in a place I don't know, I have no real world experience of, but within sentences, I am in that world and I feel like I know it and I feel like absolutely this world exists. Have you got a good um, example of this? Well, I, I guess a couple that I've read recently that I've really, really enjoyed. There was a book um, by uh, an English author called Thomas Taylor. Um, and I think this is Thomas's first book. And it's called Malamander. And it's set in a kind of Brighton, England. So on the southern coast of England uh, kind of world. So you sort of, you kind of know that world. Um, and I've, I've been to Brighton. I've seen pictures of Brighton. So I know that world because of the, the actual town Brighton. But this is, you know, this is actually, um, I think the name of the town is Erie on Sea. And it's so it's, it takes that idea of Brighton, but then of course it builds on that and it creates a whole other new world that is at, the same time familiar, but brand new, but also really exciting. And um, another book uh, that I read recently that I really, really enjoyed too was um, Catherine Rundle, um, The Good Thieves. Right. And that's set in New York um, quite a long time ago. And that straight away again, I thought, oh, I know this world. And, and not just New York, again, it's not just a story set in New York, but it's a particular feel mm. in that world. And um, both of those books, um, seriously, within, within sentences, I was in that world. And that, that is a big challenge for all of us who want to set, um, who want to write stories and, 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 and build a particular world for that story. Have you, have you read any China Meevil at all? No, I haven't. China Meevil who wrote the city in the city and um, Perdido Street Station, but he writes very, very dark steampunk, like you know, keep okay. awake at night steampunk. But one of his oh. books, The Scar, is basically a, it's set on a floating city that's made of ships that have been chained together over generations, oh, um, okay. and they're trying to you're trying to raise a kraken to 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 um, move it around. But the the introduction to that describes how deep the ocean is, and it talks about get how dark it gets down there and it talks about how the bodies of sailors that have been consigned to the deep their skeletons are picked picked free of flesh before they even touch right. the bottom of the ocean and that right. as you say that sets up this mood for the entire book of this yep. dark terrifying yep. unseen danger lurking somewhere yes and that's the thing you're not when you build a world you're not just building 
the bricks and the mortar and the pot plants and the skyscraper or the the seafront you you are building the feeling of that world and i think for me that's what's really really important in in world building you've got to think of those two things what is the atmosphere of this world what does it feel like to walk through the streets of that world and and physically what do you see when you're walking through the streets of that world so it's got to be those two things at once i think that immediately literally immerse yourself like that story you just told that i mean i could see all of that mm. you could see mm. those skeletons floating down and 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 i you know every, lots of stories are written on the ocean in the ocean but that that is a particular feeling to that story that's super super important when we write and I guess it's kind of clever too because the next time you're floating on on a surfboard out the back of the waves, if you've read yeah. that book, suddenly you start thinking about that. And so he's, yes. he's created this ability to make his own work resonate with you all the time, which I think is very clever. Yes. Um, yep. So, so you, you've talked in the past about knowing the rules of your world and sticking to it. Let's talk about that for a yeah. while. Yeah. You, well, so what do you mean by the rules? Are we talking about yeah. Yeah, what, what does that mean? It's super, super important as well. <laughs> I'm going to try and stop saying super important because it probably all is in a way. Um, so the aim of world building is to create a world that completely immerses your reader and convinces your reader it could exist. So if you keep those two kind of principles at the, the top of your computer, stick it on the wall, wherever, the top of your notebook, that's what we're trying to do. So this is a now, suspension of disbelief kind of thing we talk about? Is that what we're talking yes. about? Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, absolutely. And so one way that you will have your readers continue to suspend their disbelief and continue to believe this world could exist is to when you set up rules in that world, you stick to them. So every single world will have its own rules. And uh, so whether it's, um, for example, uh, now I'm going to try and think of some examples. Um, so, for example, in the world of, of Grimsden that I built, it's a flooded city. And so they need to get around this flooded city to do things like survive, to find food. So when I was building the world of Grimsden, um, I needed to think, well, where could they find food? You know, it's a flooded city. By the time I start this novel, it's three years after the flood has happened and people have been moved out of that city, but a couple of kids are left behind. So in my head, I need to know almost to the street what street do they need to go down to get to um finding that food source or what street do i need to go down uh or what route do they need to take to go to parliament house which is there's something that exists in parliament house that they need to go to so i i need to know physically how that world works i need to know um how the machines work there are flying machines in this book uh i need to know how uh, how that machine works to know that um it also could break um i i need to keep to the, the reality of this world i can't just suddenly say um oh and then a flying eagle appeared from nowhere and carried them off and suddenly this story has magic in it whereas it hasn't had magic in the first 200 pages so your story even if it does have magic in it and it's more of a, a fantasy story you need the, the rules of magic can everybody is everybody able to access the magic does everyone have those same magical powers is it only some people who have certain powers and others not so you can't give a bunch of magical powers to one person and then suddenly go oh actually i really need this other character to get somewhere quickly so i'm going to 
give those magical powers to that character as well. The rules are super, super important because as soon as you break those rules, I as a reader will go, well, I don't believe this because you told me way back in the beginning that only certain people can access this magic and now everybody can access it. So um, I don't know, unless they, unless they found the key to that magic and I saw that scene where they found the key to that magic, I don't know, then maybe I'll believe it a bit more. But stick to those rules, so otherwise the world literally crumbles. We can talk about this later or we can talk about it now, but when you've been talking about that eagle swooping in, yeah. I immediately thought we need to talk about foreshadowing in the context of this. Do you want to talk about that now or do you want to talk about that yeah, later sure. on? Yeah, sure, let's okay. do it. So t- tell me how foreshadowing would work. And let's say you, you need that eagle to swoop in. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not a... I wouldn't advise it as an editor, but let's say that you are <laughs> determined that you're going to have that eagle swoop in and save them. How yep. do you make that work for the reader so they don't just go, well, that's just crazy? Yep. How would you make yep. them go, well, I don't understand how a giant eagle has got there, but, yep, I'll go with it. How do you do that? Yep, yep. So um, foreshadowing super, super important. Oh, my gosh, I said it again. Sorry. Um, it's also so one of my if- favourite things because it makes you look like a genius, doesn't it? <laughs> It does, it does. Go on, sorry. But it is super important. It is super important. So, for example, in Grimsden, there is a sea monster. And at the beginning of the book, they've heard rumours about the sea monster from another character they've met. Um, they every now and then, if they're on the water in a, in some kind of vessel, and there's all sorts of vessels they use to get around um, and to go through different streets, um, they might see a, a shadow, a murky shadow in the water. They might turn around uh, after there's been like the f- a splash of a tail nearby, but they didn't quite see it. They just saw the the splash of water coming up. So there's all these hints that oh yeah. There is something big in the water and all we know are rumours so far. So we don't know exactly what's going on. And then, uh, of course, I needed to get them to meet this sea monster who actually it becomes very, very important at the end of this novel and as the novel progresses. I thought, well, where, I need them to meet. Where would be the most uh, treacherous time for a character to meet a sea monster? And I thought, I know. One of my characters is on a mission on a boat late one night. Someone's really annoyed her and she's going to go and like give it to them. And while she is in this rowboat rowing away, you know, going to give it to this person who's really annoyed her, the sea monster literally kind of uh, comes out of the water and um, meets her head on and like, flicks her out of this boat and um and i think i thought yep that's how they're going to meet the sea monster so all those little foreshadowings though literally the the murky shadow in the water the splash of the tail the rumors of it you i think so that then suddenly the sea monster just didn't appear out of nowhere so um, i mean if I the sea if the sea monster had sorry to interrupt if the sea monster had appeared out of nowhere then yep. that would work that would just be a big surprise but why would that not be as effective as what you did because it feels too convenient and I yeah. think, and it is to you are right, that sea monster could have just appeared out of nowhere once, you know, they could have been facing all sorts of other different problems and then suddenly a sea monster appears. But I think I even, like for me as a reader and, you know, we're all readers, I, I want to be teased about stuff. I want to kind of go, oh, what is in the water? And maybe it's a shark, maybe it's a whale. Um, I don't know. Look but we're given kind of clues that it's sort of a little bit bigger or it's kind of, uh, you know, it's, uh, there's all these different clues we're given that uh-uh, it's not, it's not 
just a shark or a whale. It's something else. And I think when the when you then, oh my goodness, there is that sea monster breaching out of the water. I think the payoff is better. I think because as a reader, you're going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm going to see it any minute now. I'm going to say, there it is. And I think that that buildup of tension and anticipation in the reader is is way more exciting a read than just having the sea monster pop up. One of my favourite things about, and anyone who's heard my workshops will know this example because I use it all the time, but but um, in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the book rather than the movie, where um, Charlie opens his first chocolate bar and there's no golden ticket. and We know there won't be because that would be, as you say, that's not how life works. The yep. second time he goes and gets the one with Grandpa Joe and comes back and opens it again and there's no golden ticket and we go, well, of course yeah. not. The rule of threes is something that we can talk about. And then when he goes and gets that third chocolate bar and opens it up and there's no golden ticket and suddenly we're floored. We go, hang on, that's not how this works. So then when he gets that last opportunity, this is definitely his last opportunity and he's opening it, we're on the edge of our seat about this golden ticket because we've been disappointed in the past. But that's sort of a little bit away from the world building thing. Well, it is and it isn't, I guess. Well, it is and it isn't. And it's really important because within this world, your characters have to want something. And what does Charlie want more than anything? And, And we want it for him. And so every single time he opens that chocolate bar and it's not there, it's, it's, it's a way of engaging your reader by the heart. But there's more than, but there's more though, isn't there? Because when he opens that, chocolate bar and finds that last golden ticket and he's excited then someone taps him on the shoulder and says you can keep your ticket or you can take this money and do something useful with it and he's asking what would I do and we're asking what would we do which is kind of when we're really engaged in that story which I guess is what you're doing with the sea monster making the person wonder whether it's there maybe it's real maybe it's not then suddenly bang there it is and they're they're in the story. There it is yeah and and we're led to believe the sea monster is big and dangerous and don't ever come across this sea monster or that'll be the end of you so then there's this thing of oh well how, what do they do now they've just been tipped out of this boat in the middle of the ocean there's a there's a, um, a sea monster there way bigger than you uh what that's it that's got to be the end of this character and then of course it's up to the author to think okay <laughs> i've gotten my character in this really troubled troublesome situation how do i how do i get them out of it but you can't do any of that without a good world so how do you how do you get to know the world? Because you, you need to know the world, obviously. If you don't know the world, then you can't write about it. But it's an, it's not a real world. Um, so how can you possibly get to know? Are you just making it up as you go along? There's a little bit of um, so, for example, Grimsden. I set in kind of city that looks like London. So I took the stuff from London that I really wanted, like the flood barriers that exist outside of London. And then I added a bunch of stuff I really wanted. Um, I've set a whole bunch of characters live in the old parliament house, which is now an abandoned ruined building. Um, But I thought it was very poignant that uh, there's a bunch of kids who live in this um, old parliament house where the adults once ruled, did a bad job of it. And now the kids rule when you're building a world, um, just really try and get it into your mind's eye. Some people like to sketch. I'm not, not really good at that. Um, find pictures on the internet that kind of, uh, that could be in your world, like pictures of places that you think, yeah, yeah, I'd want my main street to look like that or I want the foreshore to look like that or I want the vehicles in this city to look like that. So, so gather, gather photographs. That often helps me to kind of imagine what this world really looks like. Um, and I, 
also do the kind of five senses. So not only what this world looks like, that's, it's super important to, to work out, well, how do you get around in this city? Um, is it, you know, what's winter like in this city? Is it, does it get icy in this city? Does it snow? Is it, you know, what kind of, what kind of um, seasons does it have? So work out all of the regular stuff that exists in a world. Um, but then also go, go through all of the senses. So see, hear, feel, smell, um, See, hear, taste, touch. Anyway, there's five of them. Taste, taste, taste. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's taste as well. Um, and um, because I, sometimes too, you want to know what it's like to 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 fly through that city you know what is the temperature like what does the wind feel like against your skin um you you know as if you get tipped out um of a boat you know because the sea must is reared up in front of you and um, what does the water feel like uh, is it how does it feel against your skin um there's a you know literally the, the sense of touch um is is really really important but you know the sound you, you've got to you've got to create a world it's like those two books i was talking about at the beginning within seconds i was in that world and it's because they not only built the physical world of it but what it feels like to be in that world and you do that by exploring um the five senses of that world and i'll even sometimes just do a big list what are all the sounds in this world? What can I hear? Um, what um, what kind, where the buildings made out of? You know, all that, all of that thing, all of those five senses help you to build a whole world. What about the sixth sense of how people feel about things? Uh, I, I cheat a bit on that one. So when I talk about um, feel, I talk about the sense of touch and also how do people emotionally feel. Emotionally and I, so I think you're right. Yeah. So I think um, you're right. I usually do the five senses but make the that that the sense of feeling uh, uh, both senses of that word. So how does it feel to be in that world? And if you know your characters quite well at this point, you will know that they all feel a little bit different about being in this world. Um, so, um, uh, for example, in the flooded city, uh, there's a character called Xavier who loves it. This is like, yeah, there are no parents telling me what to do i've made my own fly machine this is really great i like doing risky stuff in my fly machine griffin all he wants to do is go home find a way to go home and leave the city uh be reunited with their families um he's a worrier he worries things are going to go wrong and isabella the main character is kind of somewhere in between that so um how do they feel being in that world that's that's a, it's something really important to work out as well how about the idea that the things that don't happen in your story but could and how the, i'll give you an example um you know what often when i'm talking to high school students i'll i'll ask them you know if you as a thought experiment if you could go anywhere in time where would you go and a lot of a lot of people say you know the roman empire and a lot of people say you know wherever back to the time of the dinosaurs or whatever but but yeah. some people a lot of people say victorian england oh. and I, my response to that is sure that sounds great right up to the yeah. point where you have to have dental work or a baby. And when that happens, you want to be right back. Maybe not 2020 the way 2020 is playing out, but you want to be back in 2019, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you kind of have to think about what could happen in that world that actually isn't going to happen in your story and, and what provisions have been put in place for that place to work? Yeah, definitely. And, that, um, and who you are in that world will... Um, set for you whether that's a good place to be or not a good place to be and mm. like i'll have kids say to me um is the sea monster good or bad and my answer to them is it depends who you are 
Yeah, right. Because yeah. some people, they, they, you know, they, this, because the sea monster is a character, and characters have different relationships with each other. So um, it depends who you are. And being transported back to Victorian times, Victorian England, depends who you are. Very much. Yeah, if yeah. you're, oh my gosh, if you're a wealthy aristocratic fellow or woman who lives on your lovely manor, great times, great times all round. But yeah, so depends who you are. And I think one other thing I think you sort of alluded to just a little bit there too, is you need to know the world beyond what actually happens in the story. So, um, I uh, I need to know what happened before the moment my actual story starts. I think that's super, super important. Sorry, I keep saying it. Um, but what was life like before the flood happened? Um, what were the childhoods like of my characters? Um, what was, um, how did other people escape from this world um, to, uh, to, to dry land? So I need to know other stuff that may not ever be in this novel or maybe just a, a, a line that says everybody else was saved, whatever. Mm. I don't know. But well, what, you what need was the to... social structure before that all happened as well, you know, whether whether people... Yep. I, I, sorry um, to interrupt, but as you've been talking, I've been thinking about The Handmaid's Tale. Um, now, right. I know a lot of people listening may not have read or watched The Handmaid's Tale, but um, have you seen the most recent series? Uh, no. Okay, so first two series. That's it. Oh, but I mean, you've seen the current, the current remake. Sorry, I have. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, What what did you think of it? Slightly disturbing, which is why I haven't watched the third one. But, (laughs) uh, but rich this world I have created. Like, talk about world building. This is a world that, in one way, is very familiar. Mm. There are houses and people and cars, and but there are a couple of things that have happened that completely put that world on its head. And uh, there are people with zero power and they're effectively slaves within that world for a particular reason. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other people with total maximum dictatorial power and they see that as a good thing. So I, I loved how familiar that world looked yeah. but how intrinsically and inherently nothing, like nothing I'd ever seen before. Um, and some of the problems in their world are sort of problems that we've got now but multiplied by 100 <laughs> yeah so so what else can you tell us about world building we talked about getting to know it well and the rules and using all your senses um yep. and how you research something that isn't even real yet don't be in too much of a rush to start your story and i know maybe even james you'll disagree with me on this one but i feel like um when you are writing a story in a world that um it's either an historical world, uh, so you need to give your characters, your, your readers, sorry, time to know this world, um, or it's a, it's a fantastical world. It's a world you've made up. You need to know that world as if you have lived there and been there. And so um, I, I think for a couple of reasons, don't be in a rush to write that story yet. Sit with it. Be, be patient about getting to know that world. And like I was saying before, uh, look at pictures online, um, look up videos online of different countries or different towns that might give you a sense of, yeah, yeah, that's how I want my back streets to look like. Mm. Um, and I, I even did that recently because I am working on a, 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 a story now that has a, a same, again, a familiar base, but it's not quite this world. And I just jumped online the other day and looked up um, alleyways 
alleyways in crowded, congested sort of cities. And I saw a bunch of pictures and I thought, yeah, yes to that one. No, no, not to that one. So look for visual um, images that will help you uh, build your world. Um, and that not only will help you work out what it looks like and how long literally it takes to run from, you know, the wharf to the library. Mm -hmm. um, it will also give you ideas for plot. Mm -hmm. So the better that you know this world as well, and the better you know the rules of this world, um, it will get it will um, actually help you plot and character. I think it will help you know that oh, my main character is going to run down that back street, and she is going to get caught because there's a sewer there, and that particular day the, the cover of the sewer is going to be open. Yep. Whatever. So it will. It will. It, the reason why I would say be patient with your world building and stay with it. Draw pictures. Draw maps. Look at pictures. Look at photographs. Because I think you will be able to place your character in there better. And instead of thinking, oh, what is my character going to do next? Your characters will more likely just act in that place. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, it does. So, and and Kate, Kate Forsyth, I know, talks about going, getting on, on street view and wandering through villages yeah. in Wales and, and that sort of thing. Yes. Um, the, other, the other thing that I think we've, we're kind of running out of time, but the other thing I think that we need to kind of make the point about right now, and it just came to me then, is we talk a lot about world building in terms of, fantasy worlds and, and unreal worlds and created yep. worlds. But in a sense, if you're writing about a different period in history, let's say you're writing yeah. about World War Two or writing about yeah. whatever, you're still world building, aren't you? Absolutely. And so for my novel that's set during World War Two, Teresa, um, A New Australian, I, I actually felt more obliged, of course, to get to know that world because it is that was the world and the experience of real people. So I felt a bit of an obligation to get this right. And so um, when I, I, I worked on that novel for months before I wrote the very first sentence and before I, I, I jot down, of course, plot ideas or um, I, I knew scenes that would happen, dialogue between particular characters. I would jo always jot that down and keep it aside. Um, but I, I made sure... I knew that world so well so that I knew what street my main character lived on. I knew um, when the bombs fell in, in her village, you know, how far it would take her to run to the centre of the village from her street. And I, 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 I needed to get to know that world because um, it really it was a real world, even though I was fictionalising this period of history by yeah, writing this yeah. historical fiction. Um, I, I needed to know, yeah, how far was it to get from the capital city of Valletta to where the city, well, the, the village where my, my main character lives. And that's was really, for really, really important reasons. I needed to know all the historical background of this. Um, and I, 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 I knew so much more than I then put in the novel, which is what we were talking about before. Don't feel like you have to cram everything into it because it also goes back to the plot and staying true to your plot and your plot is driven by what does my character want and in the first part of this book my character wants to survive well just wants her and her family to survive that's the thing that is driving the plot at the beginning of this book and then it becomes of course her country's destroyed she migrates to australia so it becomes more of a migration story and then her wants change she instead of wanting to survive in a war situation she wants to survive in that she wants to find a place yeah, yeah, in this new country. Yeah. yeah, so. Uh, I think that the way I look at this whole idea of knowing all the detail but not putting it in is a bit like making a cup of tea. You know, you, all that detail is the tea leaves in the bag, but you don't pour all those tea leaves into your cup when you make a cup of tea. No. You let the flavour right. come through, but you have to have all that, that weight of tea leaves, if you like, to sort of stretch yeah. that stretch that analogy yeah. a bit. Yeah, 
I know, and I love that one because I drink a lot of tea when I write. So, and, you, and you've got to you've got to know things like, for example, um, you know how many pounds of butter you are allowed to get a week on your rations if in, during the Second World War. You can't just go yeah. down the street and grab the margarine out of the out of the cool box like it wasn't like that. Yeah, and that's a fairly obvious and I, example. No, and it, but it's a really good one because I know I I chatted to my auntie who who lived uh, throughout through the bombing in World War II, and she said she remembers times where food was so scarce because it's another thing, it, whether it's a flooded city, whether it's World War II, where do they get the food from? Because mm. the production of food has been severely interrupted, right? So where do they get their food from? And my auntie remembers as a little kid going into the fields between bombing raids and just picking anything that was green. Now, Malta's a really dry, rocky country. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of greenery. So she would pick weeds that grew between rocks and they mm. would bring it home so that when they went to what was called a victory kitchen, so it's basically the nuns would get these big pots um, and would boil up this very, very watery soup with a couple of carrots in it and not much else, um, the tomato or two, and then she would add to her soup, her bowl, one bowl of soup she was allowed in the day, she would add these bits of green just so there was something that added a bit of texture and something else to the soup. Yeah, I mean, I remember talking to Mal Pete, who's sadly left us now, but yeah, Mal yeah. Pete's book, um, Tamar, which is about being a um, in the Dutch resistance, being a radio operator hiding away and, and so right. forth. And I asked him, he, he actually spoke to his, I think his grandfather was did this job, and he asked him, he said um, the most surprising thing when he interviewed his grandfather, he said, what's your greatest memory? Is it the fear? He said, it's the cold and the boredom. Right. Is it the cold and the boredom of sitting there waiting right. for that radio to crackle into life in the middle of the night? Um, right. So sometimes, you know, when you start doing this research on these sorts of things, you get surprising kind of. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So, so we're, we're going to have to wrap it up, Deb. Um, we could yep. talk about this all day and I would love to, but yeah. we kind of can't <laughs> today. Um, uh, any, anything else you want to add? I think we've covered it quite a bit, haven't we, in our, in our well, 25 minutes, half an hour? Yeah, I just – so, I mean, the big things are – that the, the main aim of world building is to create a world that completely immerses your reader and convinces them that it could really exist. So anything you can do um, by adding um, details, uh, by really evoking the image uh, of this world so beautifully, you will get your reader. And detail is really important. It's the cold, like you were talking about just then. He remembers the cold and the boredom. Those details, you know, and and um, and and how they ate. Did they did they have to sneak into a field in the lull during bombings and 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 pick uh, and pick greenery to add to their soup? Those details make me think that this story could really exist. I mean, I do know it because it really did exist. But sometimes those tiny details actually bring that story to life and ground it and, and make it feel real and make it feel really solid. I'm going to so, very quickly drop another name while you're talking. Go on. Who else have you spoken to? Terry Pratchett. <laughs> I spoke no. To, yeah, I, talk, I spoke to Terry Pratchett when he did a, a signing in in, um, in Sydney. Uh, there's another story related to this. I'll tell you another time. But, right. but one of the things he said, he said that people would come to him when he was writing the Discworld books. They'd say to him, yes. where do you get these crazy ideas? Like, he said, like what? And he said, oh, they'd say, because he had the dust sifters of Vank Morpork who would sift the dust for little bits of bone and, and metal that they could then sell for anything. Right. They said, where did you get that crazy idea? And he said, um, the real world, that's something that people did in Victorian England. 
So, you know, sometimes wow. these details kind of come from unexpected places as well. And you can just yes. sort of stick them in your own fantasy work, if you like, and it, it still works. You know? Yeah. And that's, we don't know everything, right? And that's the beauty of being a curious person. We don't know everything. And so when you do dig a little bit further, literally, you dig or you sift a little bit further, you will sometimes literally find these gems and you'll go, you know what? I'm, I'm going to set the whole scene about that or that's going to be really pivotal to how my novel then ends. Yeah, so explore in creating the world's take stuff. You can take stuff that already exists and then add a lovely otherworldly element to it. That's, that's, that's a really good example. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I got to meet Terry Pratchett. Just thought I'd mention that. Yeah, sorry. Plus, you got to meet Terry. That's that's not who I was expecting you were going to say. That's amazing. Okay. Yeah, it was. Um, look, Deb. Thank you so much for talking to us about world building. There's a lot more we could discuss, and maybe one day we will. So, where can people find you? Have you got a website that you want to plug? Yeah. So my website is just my name. So it's deborahabella.com. D-E-B-O-R-A-H-A-B-E-L-A. Um, and you can write to me. And on the website, I've got a bunch of different things, videos and stuff that actually explore how I sometimes came up with some ideas and uh, the story behind the story, which I'm fascinated by how authors get their ideas. And I know it's a, it's the question everyone gets asked, where'd you get your idea from? Um, but I, I kind of, I'm com- continually fascinated by where people get their ideas from. So deborahabella.com if you want to have a look. Beautiful. Thanks so much for talking to us and we'll talk again soon. Thanks, James. Okay, bye. Bye.